been accused of being too analytical at times. And I just want you to stop and think about something with me for a moment. Sam said it's going to take two minutes to go through the Old Testament. It took ten minutes to make that announcement. <laughs> we could have gone through it five times and saved a Saturday. <laughs> Think about it. I don't know. The last time we were together, we started to uh, explore a subject that has relevance for every person that's here in this room this morning, and it's a matter of personal integrity. The problem that I saw last week with the biggest obstacle that we had to overcome was coming up with the definition of it. What is integrity? And if you were here last week, you saw that we wrestled with it for about the whole time we were together, actually, and um, we had many diverse opinions that are represented in the group, as you can imagine, as you look around and see many diverse people. The question is, there's something, there's something that bothered me last week, and I want to make sure that we, we lay a foundation right as we get moving this morning, and that is that somewhere along the line, we came to some conclusions that somehow or another, sincerity, or sincerity, depending on where you're from, is synonymous with integrity. If you are sincere about something, then you demonstrate integrity in your life. So we wrestled with that and went back and forth. Um, recently, there was a man who relocated from this area and went back to Minnesota in the dead of winter. And as you can imagine, it's cold back there. And uh, the state of Minnesota is known, it's called the land of 10,000 10, lakes. Well, in the wintertime back there, It'd be hard to tell whether those are lakes or not. Um, they're frozen, but it's also a land that's known for great fishing. So this man, leaving Southern California, going back to Minnesota, the snow is new, the cold is new, everything's new, fishing is new, and he thought what he would try is to go ice fishing. So he goes out and he goes ice fishing. He thought, this is going to be great. New area, new sport, new hobby, something. This is going to be exciting. I've never done this before. So he goes out and he cuts a hole in the ice. He follows all the directions, all the booklets that he finds, the pamphlets that he reads about ice fishing. He cuts a hole in the ice, he drops his line in the ice, and he sits there for the next 45 minutes, nothing. Nothing. And then he hears a voice. The voice says, there are no fish down there. He goes, okay. So he moves to another location. Digs another hole, drops in his line, sits for another 30 minutes, and he hears the same voice. There are no fish down there. Moves again, digs another hole, drops in his line, hears the same voice for the third time. There are no fish down there. Finally, he stops and he says, is, is, is that you, God? And the voice says, no, I own the ice skating rink that you're trying to fish through. Now the question is, as we go through this whole thing on integrity, let me ask you a question. Was this man sincere about his desire to fish? Was he sincere about his desire to fish? How do we know that? Okay, he tried three times. He was persistent. He went out and he actually tried it. Okay, I want you to think with me for a minute. Sincerity. As long as you're sincere, you have integrity. Was he sincere about his desire to fish? Yes. How do we know he was sincere? 
He demonstrated it with his actions. So he believed something. He was sincere about it. He demonstrated it with his actions. And so based on the definition of several people in here last week, the man had integrity. But the problem is, was he right? Was he right? Why wasn't he right? Okay, wrong location, no results. He was flat out wrong. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And that's the problem we're having with the whole subject of integrity. I've talked to many of you after last week that were very sincere in what you believed, but I don't want to burst your bubble here, but you were sincerely wrong. Okay? We are living in a day and age where we are being told that there are no absolutes. Everybody's opinion is equally valid. Anything that you come up with and you conclude, for whatever reason you come to that conclusion, is equally valid. And who am I, as I found out last week, as I shared this with a few people, who am I to say what you believe is wrong? And you know what? That is perfectly legitimate for you to feel that way. Because who am I to say what you believe is wrong? It is not my position to tell you what you believe is wrong. But the question then comes back to how can you line up what you believe against what standard to say that you are right or wrong? See, God says there are absolutes. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong contrary to what you may believe. You have the definition in your mind of what integrity is. What we tried to do last week was take a look at what does God say integrity is compared to what you believe it to be. You're some of the most sincere people I've ever met. But the question I have for you is, the, the beliefs that you formulated, what do you check them against? What standard do you have to go back to? Give me an example. Um, if, if there are any of you who, who exercise or run or whatever, um, there's a problem that exists with running. And I know it because I did it yesterday with a couple friends. And uh, we went out and we ran. And we're going to run for 15 miles. That is a standard. It's a, it's a distance that's irrefutable. 15 miles is 15 miles. Get in a car, you can drive it, you can measure it. You can, it's a standard that's irrefutable. You can run that period, you can run that distance in whatever period of time it takes you to do it, and then you can divide how long it took you to do it by the distance that you ran, and you know how fast you ran every mile. Is everyone in agreement on that? Okay, good. Here's what happens when you start to run. After about 45 minutes, you look at your watch and you say, you know, I want to be able to run these 15 miles at a seven minute pace. And, um, gee whiz, you know, at 45 minutes at a seven minute pace, it's a seven, seven miles, six miles, so we should be about six and a half miles by now. And you continue to go that way. And you say, oh, okay, well, it's been uh, an hour and a half now, and I know I want to run this at seven-minute mile, so I must just take that hour and a half and multiply it by seven, and that's how far I ran. Guess what? It doesn't work that way. There are some days that you go out and run, and you say, you know what? I want to get this over with as fast as possible. So you can look at your watch and go, it's only been 12 minutes. I think that's eight miles. 
I think I am doing incredibly well today. And so what happened was the people I ran with, they're not really into this and they're being kind of prodded along to do it. They would look at their watch and, and uh, or they would, they would beg me to tell them that the distance was different than what I'm telling them it was. Now, I've, I've ran this many, many times. I've driven it. I've measured it because when you go and you run it and you look at your watch and say, oh, that took me seven and a half or it took me eight minutes to do this. That's not right. I've got to get my car and drive it again because this can't be right. I felt better than that. I felt good. My emotions were high. I was feeling good. I didn't even sweat that much, so I know it didn't take me that long to do it. Well, the guys I was running with, I said, this is, this is it, man. This is, we're only at 10 miles. No, we're not. And they're arguing with me that it's not. They've never run it before. They've never measured it. They've never driven it. And you know what they did? They argued with me the whole time. And when you're at 10, at 10 miles and a 15-mile run, the last thing you want to be doing is arguing with people about how long you ran because you know you got five more miles to go, and even at eight minutes, it's another 40 minutes, and you don't have to listen to this. And they're like, kind of saying, please tell us we're done. <laughs> I would love to, but we're not. What was the fallacy? Were they sincere? Did they sincerely want to be done? <laughs> yes. Did their actions demonstrate it? Yes. Were they wrong? Yes. Why? Because there is a standard that is irrefutable that you go back to to check what you believe, check your emotions, check how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. What I find about myself is I deceive myself all the time. And if I don't have a tuning fork to go back to and not tune something by ear that has a standard to set it, we're all in big trouble. See, if you and I don't come up with a, a definition of integrity that we can lay claim to, we will never ever be able to lay claim to integrity in our life. If you feel like integrity is open to your interpretation of it, then you will have your own sense of integrity apart from what God says a person of integrity is all about. And many of you have come to that conclusion that you think you have integrity, but based on the word of God, you do not. Just like my friends thought they ran 15 miles and based on the standard they exist, they did not. They believed it, they were sincere, they really wanted it to be that way, but guess what? It doesn't work that way and neither does God. He says there are absolutes, this is the way it is, and that's what integrity is all about. You can take it or leave it, you can look at me and say, who am I to tell you what integrity is? And you know what I say to you? I don't tell you anything because what I find about my opinions is they don't matter anyway. If God says it and I share it with you, then you read it for yourself and you tell me what he's saying. So here's a question that I have for you. What is integrity? Based on what we talked about last week, what were some of the characteristics of a man or a woman who has integrity? Okay, obey God. Obey God how? Consistently obey God, right? What should we obey him? I mean, what do you mean obey him? How do we know what he wants us to do? How do we know what he wants us to do? Hey, back there, listen up here. How do you know what God wants you to do? Oh, he tells us. That's good. So he tells us. He says, guess what? Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. If you do these things and you obey God consistently, then you are a man or a woman of integrity. David said, guess what? I have walked in my integrity, Psalm 26. Did he not say that? He says, I have walked in your ways because your ways are truth. You got it? Obey God. Consistently obey God. And you will have integrity. What else do we find from the life of Job? What did Job demonstrate in his life? 
He trusted God. When? When things were great. No? When things went like that. I can't say the B word anymore, but I'll make a kind of guttural expression. When things... Okay, when things were bad, he still trusted God. Do you remember what his wife said? Do you still maintain your integrity and trust God? Curse God and die. So when all hell breaks loose in Job's life, and when all hell breaks loose in our life, literally, when the gates of hell are storming against us, and we trust God, we maintain our integrity. Trusting God without wavering, being consistent in the fact that what God says in our life is right, regardless of our circumstances, or guess what? Or how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. Regardless of how you feel, do you still trust God? See, there's a problem with emotions and feelings. Because many of us, when we have trials and tribulations in our life, we'd, ha we'd be led to believe that God has abandoned us and forsaken us. And so we go back to his word and we find out, guess what? God allows those things to happen, to purify us, to test us, to purge us, to make us more godly in our lifestyle and in our understanding of who God is. So the point that I'm trying to make is, what is the absolute? The absolute, according to Jesus Christ in John 17, is he said, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. The Word of God is our absolute. The Word of God is our standard. Now, see, what happens is this. Somebody came up to me last week and they said, I can't believe that you said David had integrity. Did you, don't you remember what he did with Bathsheba and killing her husband and all these things? Don't you remember what he did? I said, I never said that David had integrity. Did I say that David had integrity last week? Who did? God did. Do you remember when, when he spoke to Solomon? He said, hey, if you do like your father David, and you walk in integrity like your father walked, then, and obey my commandments and do as I say, then I will bless, bless you and make you prosperous. God said, David had integrity. I didn't say it. <laughs> so, I don't, see, the problem is, I don't care what you think. And, and you shouldn't care what I think. All you need to care about is what does God say? And God told Solomon his dad had integrity whether you like to believe it or not. That's where it works. Isn't that good? It's so easy that way because then we don't walk around here going, well, I still don't agree with you. And that's what I'm last week. I said, I don't know, you, you don't agree with me all you want. I can't believe it. That's not agreeing with me. I can't believe it. So if you don't agree with God, pinhead, I'll tell you that right now. You don't, you don't agree with God, then you're going to have all kinds of problems. I don't care if you agree with me. Nobody ever agrees with me. And that's okay. And I said, that's good. I'm happy for you. Don't agree with me. I can care less. <clears throat> so the question is, what is integrity? Let me throw out this definition, and we're going to use it for the rest of our series. According to the Bible, a person of integrity, in fact, I don't even like the little footnote. You have a little footnote that says uh, integrity, um, uh, singleness of purpose, sincerity of heart. See, I don't even like that. You know why? Because they, they, they left that in the definition. Singleness of purpose, sincerity of heart in following God in God's ways. See, they, they missed some of the definition. So here's what I get from what we saw in the Bible. What is integrity? According to the Bible, a person of integrity walks in a manner 
that's pleasing to God and continues to do so, trusting the Lord and His ways despite the circumstances and the pressures that come from living in a hostile environment. That is integrity according to the Word of God. So as we get into this this morning, I want you to have that as a backdrop. Because the question that is going to be presented to each of us every day of our life is when the pressure's on, will you continue to trust God and that His ways are right? Because you're going to be bombarded with people saying, this is the way to do it. And God's saying, nah, this is the way I say to do it. And depending on where you line up is going to depend on whether you have biblical integrity. You follow me? Daniel chapter 1. So the problem that we have is, assuming for a moment that we have integrity. We believe God and what God says is right. We believe that what God is saying is the way to live and we believe that if we are obedient to Him that what He says as a result will take place. Then, the way that I see it is when you develop these convictions there are basically two things that we believe. Traditionally, two things that we believe that can happen. First thing is what? Assume for a moment you have convictions about something. And those con convictions are put to the test. You may have had a week like that last week. You may be anticipating a day like that tomorrow. You believe something, you think that it's right. And you're going to be challenged in that area. What are some of the choices that are available to you? Don't look down at your Bible. I mean, this question is not there. And it's like, okay, what pages are you on now? Okay, two choices. You either obey the Lord or you don't. Okay? And if we don't, we call that compromise. And if we do, we call that commitment. We are committed to God's ways or we begin to compromise God's ways. Right? Those are the only two choices, right? Only two choices? How many agree? Is that it? You do it or you don't do it. You're either going to compromise or you're going to make a commitment that's going to lead to martyrdom. Right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know, might not be sure what the Lord would want you to do. So what do we do in that circumstance? Compromise. Very good. That's, that's it. That's it. Where, where's this at? When in doubt, compromise. Right? And then formulate your convictions later on and check into it and see what's right. That's okay. I don't have any overheads. <laughs> but, but I appreciate your, your servant spirit. <laughs> that was really good. I used to work for him. He used to make me do stuff like that for him all the time. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Daniel chapter 1. When in doubt, compromise. That's the Christian attitude that I like to hear. I know, and you're going to say, well, but it works. Oh, okay. Daniel chapter 1. As we sit and think this morning, we've come up with two conclusions. There's only two things you can do. One is that you can compromise and just kind of blend in with the situation and hope that it all works out. Or two is you can make a commitment and just pay the price for whatever that commitment is. 
We've all come to agreement, show of hands, that those are the only two choices, right? Anybody, last chance, anybody have another idea? Is that thunder? What? No, forget it, I was just kidding. Daniel chapter 1. No, go ahead. Oh, good. That's a good point. There are a million ways to compromise, and there seems to be only one way to follow God. Let's see. And there are many ways to follow God. Okay. Well, let's see what Daniel chose to do. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of, branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, and at the end of that service they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Balthachazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. A little bit of history here. Um, according to uh, the prophet Isaiah, as he spoke to King Hezekiah in 2 Kings, he said there would be a day coming because of the disobedience of the, of the land of Israel, of the, uh, the, the kingdoms of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, that one day they would be besieged and they would be taken into captivity. This captivity took place at the hands of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was the head uh, honcho at that time, who came in and took over the land of Judah. So what they would do in typical situations, they would go in and they would capture a land and they would take the people and they would remove them from their land and take them to their land. In this particular case, it would be like going from Southern California to uh, Portland, Oregon, a distance of about whatever that is. And, uh, okay, there's not a standard there. Um, so what they did was they would take them, they would take them up there, and then they would assimilate them into the culture of the captors. So what they would do is they would take these people and they would say, okay, here's the deal. We want to assimilate you, assimilate you into our culture. We're going to teach you our ways. We're going to do all these things. And then if we decide to subjugate your, your uh, prior possession, your land, we'll send you back there and you'll be trained in our ways. And then you could head up or you can be our branch manager, so to speak, so that you, can, you, know, you know what's going on. Basically what they're saying is, we're going to take you to corporate office. We're going to train you for three years and we're going to send you back out so you can run the branch right so that you have a whole new mindset on how you're going to do everything. Okay, does that help you a little better? So basically that was happening. This is what's going on with the life of Daniel at that time. Now there's five things I want you to notice about Daniel 
and the background and what's happening here. The first thing is this. As we look at this, it says that the king ordered in verse 3, Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The first thing that we notice about Daniel's life is this guy had tremendous potential. If you look at this, they're saying, okay, we just captured this whole land. We've got all these people to choose from, and we are going to choose you. Have you ever applied for a position that thousands of people wanted? Have you ever tried to get into a good university? in the days where it didn't matter that you just had the money, but they cared about SATs and grades and other things of that nature, you know, tri trivial matters like that. You ever try to get into Harvard Business School, the elite graduate school in this country? Have you ever, or are you all kind of like USC type people? <laughs> oh, just kidding. <laughs> Loosen up. Uh, but, see, the point is, if you've ever tried, if you've ever applied for something that a lot of people wanted that position, what happens when you get it? You're excited. You're proud. You realize you're up against some stiff competition, and it means something to get that position. See, think about this for a moment. There are hundreds of thousands of people probably to choose from to be educated to serve the king. And I want you to notice that he was chosen. He was a man who had no defect, who was good-looking, who was intelligent. He had understanding. He had discerning ability and knowledge. And he had the ability to serve the king. Once he went through the training process, I mean, he was the cream of the crop. He and his friends and some of the others that were there, they were the cream of the crop. What I want you to understand is that the will to compromise or the temptation to compromise or the danger zone comes in when you and I are told you are really fortunate that you are in this position. You are so fortunate you realize you could be out breaking rocks. You could be out scraping dirt. You could be out building a road for us. And you know where you're at? You're in the king's court. We're going to educate you. We're going to train you. We're going to make you something special because you have potential. Have you ever been in a situation in your business where you're being told, you know what? Hey, we recognize there's something special about you. But I just want to remind you, fact that, in fact, let me, can I, do you mind if I just open the drawer here and let you see all the resumes, all the people who applied for the position that you're in? Do you realize that, I know you have potential and we chose you and, and we appreciate you being a part of this team. But do you realize that if you don't go along with our program, I, I got what do you think there's here? Maybe, what, 1,000, 2,000 applications? We can have somebody in here this afternoon 
to take your place. In a minute, you're replaceable. <laughs> no, don't, don't let that bother you. <laughs> and don't let that influence how you adapt to our structure. <laughs> you know, I, we don't want to tell you what to do because we like, we like the fact that you kind of are aggressive and you stand out and that you have your own mind and, and you have some of your own convictions and, and we like that about you. But we just want to let you know if they go too far, we can replace you in a minute. Have a nice day. See, that's Daniel. That's his friends. They had tremendous potential. You know what? Somebody telling you that? You got tremendous potential. And it all hinges on if you do things our way. That's how you're going to make it. Just do things our way. And we saw it was going to be a great position. He had potential and he had the position. The position was going to be, man, you know what? You are going to work for the king. You're going to live a good life compared to the rest of the guys who are outside breaking rocks. In fact, let me take you to the balcony window for a second. Or better yet, let me take you to the window of your office so you can look out into the plant and see all the people working down there that are, oh my gosh, hourly. And we want you to see where you could be. And you, li you like this office with the window too, don't you, by the way? In fact, how you like this leveler? Should we try to be like this? Although I had a friend of mine who um, never had, a, had a, like a legitimate job for the first 33 years of his life. He played, he played sports, never had to work more than six, eight months a year, never had this nine-to-five kind of routine. And, and uh, he called me one time, and he's, he's back east, and he called me, and, the, and I answered the phone, and he said, oh, have you ever noticed how levelers look like prison bars? <laughs> I said, having a good day? <laughs> Just need encouraged. That'll give you a buzz. Said, oh, okay, I can understand that. So we look at these levelers that are so nice on our windows, and we look out at the plant, and we look out at the hourly workers, and all this time we're being encouraged, hey, you know what? You have tremendous potential. Remember that you are, you are just three steps outside this threshold to going back to where you were. Would you like to go back to where you were? See, would you like to lose everything you've got? And so the temptation then is this. You have tremendous potential, but guess what? Man, you're so lucky. You have the good life. You have the salary now. Hey, you're even in our bonus pool now. You've got the company car. We're going to send you on some trips. We've got some trip incentives. I mean, you have got a great life, don't you? How'd you like to lose it all? See, depending how strong your convictions are, when they start to challenge you with their demands, it's going to make a big difference on how you respond. See, if you don't lay claim to the definition that God gives of what integrity is, about doing things God's way, to be consistent in obedience, uh, to be consistent in obedience in times of oppression and trials and tribulation, and when the heat is on and the pressure is on for you to do something a certain way, you know what you're going to think? I can't afford to lose this job. I can't afford to lose my salary. I can't take a 20 or 30% pay cut. I don't want to lose my bonuses, and I really do enjoy these trips. And I like this and that and the other thing. So, you know what? And it's not that big a deal what they're asking me to do. 
And so you know what they did? You know what they asked them to do? No big deal. They tried to get their allegiance. In fact, they changed their names to line up with their Babylonian gods. They said, in fact, you know what? We don't even like your names anymore because your names have something to do with your God. So we're going to change your names and we're going to have a new allegiance and now I'm your boss and here's your God and your God's going to be money, your God's going to be success, your God's going to be fame, it's going to be whatever it is that you want to accomplish in your business and in your life and that's your new God. In fact, change your name, change your association, change your allegiance and now you'll follow them and you'll do it their way. And you know what you say? Why would they ask it isn't that big a deal? It's not, I mean, it really isn't that bad. You know, when, his, when you talk about something silly, you know what they ask him to do? And, and uh, it says um, in verse 5, So the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter into the king's service. All that they said was, Hey, listen guys, you know what? Instead of breaking rocks and instead of being out there, if you just be educated under our system and you just, oh, by the way, if you just follow along with our diet and our program, then you've got tremendous potential in our firm. Now, how many of you would have a problem if somebody said to you, you know what, if you want this next promotion or this next big raise or you want this bonus, all that we ask you to do is, is just eat um, out of the commissary. Just, you know, just eat here in our cafeteria. If you just do that, then, hey, you're in. Don't worry about it. Would you have a problem with that? Lousy cafeteria. Oh, I hate, don't you hate that? No, I, there's no way. I mean, I got convictions about our cafeteria, and this stuff's <laughs> terrible. What was the problem with Daniel being asked just to eat the food that they serve him? I mean, you know, after all, if you're a guest in somebody's city or somebody's town and they serve you food, I mean, you can't say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. So, you know, when in Babylon, do the Babylonians, you know, because you want to, hey, you, you got to become all things to all men so you can win some, right? That's what you got to do. What was Daniel's problem? Listen to what he said. You know what Daniel said? <laughs> Verse 8. Daniel made up his mind. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He's going to risk everything for a stinking meal? He's going to risk his tremendous potential to, to work in the courts of the king? He's going to risk being rebellious about what they're asking him to do and not only just risk his potential job, but also risk maybe even his life? He's going to do that for a lousy meal? What's wrong with this guy? What's his problem? See, and this is what comes back to the standard that I'm trying to get across to you. Do you know what his problem was? God said there are many things that you cannot eat. See, God said there are many things that you cannot drink. The Jews diluted their wine ten parts sometimes of water to one part of wine, sometimes six, sometimes three. Proverbs 20 says that a strong drink or wine is a brawler and makes a mockery out of men. Makes you look like a fool. See, the word of God says certain things about wine. So Daniel said, I can't do that. I can't drink that. It's not right, according to what God says. The word of God says certain things about food. Do you realize that they were on a strict diet? Leviticus 14, read it sometime. Anything that was prepared by a Gentile would make a Jew unclean. And the word unclean is used over a hundred times in Leviticus 14. Read it and look at it. So you know what happened? 
they asked him to do something that it wasn't just a problem that he had and not liking the food in the cafeteria. The problem that he had was God said, I can't do it. I'm not going to. And if it means risking everything, I'm going to risk everything and I'm going to take my chances and I'm going to commit to the word of God. But I'm not going to let it end at that. I'm not going to be stupid about it either and throw a fit. I know some of us are rebellious because we don't like to anybody telling us what to do. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when God says something and it is an obvious violation of the word of God and you're asked to do it. What are you going to do? You're going to hang on to everything that you've worked for? I, man, I spent 20 years building this business up. I mean, I, I don't want to lose it, and I want to lose this, and I don't want to lose that, so I'm going to just kind of compromise everything. Or are you going to be committed and dedicated to the Word of God? See, we look at this and say, man, a meal, I, oh, I'll tell you what. This, <laughs> see, here's the problem. See, it's like, there are some things that God tells us are right and wrong that I can live with, and there are other things that aren't that big a deal. I mean, after all, what's food, what's a little drink, you know, we kind of go along with it. And so what, we, what happens is that we, we no longer have a standard and we throw everything out because no longer, see, we just throw it right out. And uh, no longer do we find that what God says is the standard anymore. We pick and choose. We choose the things that God says are right and wrong that don't affect our lives. And once they begin to, then it's like, well, God really doesn't mean that. I mean, he can't really mean, he got me, he got me all the way here. And he got me in this position, and there was 2,000, 3,000, 300,000 applicants. I mean, God opened the door for me to be here. I can't believe he's shutting the door on me now. So we rationalize it all. But you know what Daniel said? He made up his mind not to defile himself with the king's choice food. You know what happened? He didn't wait till he got to Babylon to decide what his convictions are. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me very carefully. You and I cannot wait until the heat's on to, to develop convictions about the word of God. We need to be in a constant mode of studying it, knowing it, realizing what God has to say, and saying, this is what I believe about what God's saying about it. And then when you're put to the test, you're going to find out whether you really truly believe that and have developed a conviction about what God is saying. If you wait until you're in the back seat of the car, like we'd like to t tell our teenage daughter, if you wait until you're in the back seat of the car and you're getting all warm and fuzzy and your emotions are going crazy, and, but I really think I love him, and, uh, God, you know, and, and God wants me to be happy and all these things that we say. And if you wait until you're in the backseat of the car in that situation to develop convictions about sex, guess what? It's too late. It's too late. And it's so easy for us to see that in the lives of our children, but it's so difficult for us to see it when it happens to us. If you wait until you are in a work environment that begins to put pressure on you to develop convictions about what God has to say, then it's too late. Do you even know what you believe about anything? And do you even know how you formulated that opinion or that belief or that conviction or whatever you want to call it? See, I ain't got people dogmatic. Oh, this is, I really still, I don't care what you say. I really think that integrity has to do with being sincere. And as long as you're sincere and you act it out, then that's what integrity is. And I don't care what you tell me. How'd you formulate that opinion? That's wonderful, but guess what? God says something totally opposite, and you know what? He's right, and you're wrong. He's always going to be right, and you're always going to be wrong until you line up with what he says is right. That's, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It really is an easy program if you follow along with it. So what Daniel said was, oh, it looks like that's it. I, I'm in trouble. 
God's opened the doors. He's brought me all over this point, and now he's going to slam the door shut on me. And guess what Job said? You know what? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is how far he brought me, then that's fine with me, too, because I'm going to keep being obedient to him, and I'm going to keep loving him and serving him. And that's as far as the program goes, and that's okay with me. I'm not setting my eyes on something that's never happened yet. I'm just excited to be here. So you know what he did? It changed his whole frame of reference. So he said, you know what? Uh, well, let's see. I can compromise. Listen. You can compromise, or you can be committed to the Word of God. And you can say, well, if I lose my job, I lose my job. If I lose my benefits, I lose them. If I lose this, I lose that. That's all the way it is. And I guess those are the only two choices. Daniel said, well, you know what? Being as intelligent as I am, they didn't, cho they didn't choose me for this position for nothing. So I want to be committed to the Word of God, but you know what? Before I just lay down my life and die a martyr, I think what I'm going to do is get creative. So look what he said. He goes, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Choice number three. You can get creative, still accomplish the objectives, but to do it in a means that is pleasing to God. You follow me? So he was saying, I can't eat this. It's against the word of God. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to ask if it's okay if I don't eat it. So as you're challenged and the heat's put on you and the pressure's put on you, have you ever thought about maybe just to get creative and come up with a plan that would allow you to still serve God, still please God, still do things God's way, and still accomplish the objectives of the organization that you're part of? There are a lot of roads that lead to Rome. But there's only one road that's God's road. And that's the one that you want to be on to meet the final objective. So Daniel said, I don't want to defile myself. I'm going to go ask if it's okay. Look at verse 9. You know what God did? Unbelievable. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. God protected him as he was obedient to the word of God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You may lose your job you may lose everything you worked hard for. You may lose everything that you think is, quote, important. But if it's because of your obedience to God, God will never disappoint you. God will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will open a door somewhere else. He will take care of you. He loves you. You may not make the same income. You may not have the same circumstances. But let me just tell you something. You know what? God is faithful. While we are faithless at times, God is still faithful. He will never let you down. See, and I know a lot of us are sitting here this morning and we're compromising because we're afraid to be obedient to the Word of God because we think we know the outcome. See, Daniel had that choice. He could have looked at it and said, you know what? I think I know the outcome. I'm going to lose my head over this. I'm going to lose my position over it, so I'm going to compromise. But he didn't say it. He goes, you know what? The outcome is this. For everybody who loves the Lord and serves Him, God will always take care of me. Period. And if it ain't here, it's somewhere else. And if they kill me, they kill me. But that's okay too, because I'd rather fear God who has control over my soul than man who all they can do is kill me one time. So he went and he said, and God granted him favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, hey, wait a minute. I'm afraid of the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. And why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head. And if one head's going to roll, 
I'd rather see yours rolling, buddy, than mine. So it says, but Daniel said to the overseer, I want you to notice something here. So you go to your boss and you say to the big boss, listen, I can't do this. It's against my convictions. I'll do, I'll do it this way instead of that way, if that's okay. He says, no, man, it's not okay. So then you go to your immediate supervisor and say, look, I don't like you to give up yet. I can't do it this way. I'd like to do it that way. Is it okay with you if we change so that I can do it and still maintain my convictions? And you know what I said? He said, please let, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. You know what the guard did? Said, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. I got to believe what happened was the guard then went to Ashpenaz and said, look, you know what? I got an idea. The guys are saying they want to be tested in this because I don't think the guard acted on his own because the guard is afraid for his head to roll if Ashpenaz found out that he didn't do what he told him to do. So what he did was he interceded to the chief official and said, look, these guys got a great idea. Why don't we let them try it? What can it hurt for 10 days? Let's give it a shot. And all of a sudden, you got somebody who's thinking the same way as the other people, so you go to your supervisor, and he goes to his boss, and the two of them, since they're already clicking anyway, they say, hey, why don't we do it this way? And because it wasn't you who came up with the idea, but somebody that he appointed or he had already put into this position, they go, that's a great idea. Let's give it a shot. And so he interceded for them. And God had compassion on them for doing for being obedient to the word of God. So you know what happens? It says, so he listened to him at the end of 10 days. Their appearance seemed better and they were fatter. That's interesting. <laughs> and then all the use for being that big fat. That was, that was the days where, you know, t skin may be in today, but fat's where it's out then. So, so at the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the use who had been eating a cho king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of the time that they were spent in this university, at the end of three years, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them, all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Seventy years later, you want to know what the end of the story is? That he was obedient to the word of God. <clears throat> and what he did was rather than say, I only have two choices, compromise or commitment, what he said was, you know what, there's another choice, and it's creativity. Before I lay down my life and die over this, I'm going to see if God will grant me compassion with the people that I'm working with. Before I'm worried about whether I'm going to lose my job or not over all this, I'm going to see if there's another alternative to this and still accomplish their objectives. Men and women, every one of us are going to be put under fire in what we believe. You cannot wait until the fire is put on before you develop your convictions. You have got to know the Word of God because it's the only standard that you and I have. If you wait for emotions and opinions and other things to come up in your life, you will always compromise the Word of God. Develop it now. Don't wait till then because then is too late. Get creative. 
Use your head. Think it through and ask God to deliver you and give you compassion. It says in Nehemiah that God granted Nehemiah compassion in the sight of the king. That as he prayed for God to loosen up their hearts and that God, we know that God has the king's, king's heart in his hand and he directs them anywhere he wants. Why don't we, if the pressure's on, why don't you take some time and just pray that God would soften the heart for the appropriate time when you can come to them and say, look, I can't do it this way. I appreciate what you're trying to accomplish and I want to see the same thing accomplished. I'm a team player, but I think we can do it this way and not compromise the word of God. Can you try that? Can you do it that way? Can you develop a definition of integrity that lines up with what God says it is and not what you think it is? Folks, I don't want to burst your bubble, but no one cares what you think unless it lines up with the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your Word and that it's the standard for our lives. Our Lord said to sanctify us in truth and that your Word is truth. God, help us to see that the secret of success for every one of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ is to live according to the Word of God. You tell us in Psalms 1 that if we do that and we meditate on a day and night that we'll be prosperous in everything that we do. Joshua came to the same conclusions that if we would not depart from it to the left or to the right, but that we'd be careful to do according to all that is written in it, that then we would be prosperous and have much success. You've told us that heaven and earth would pass away, but your word would never pass away. God, help us to see how vital your word is to the health and the stability of our lives as your people. To realize that it is a standard, it is an absolute, and not go by the heart, which is deceitfully wicked above all things. God, we just thank you for Daniel, that he was a man of integrity, that he was creative in his abilities to formulate a plan that would be pleasing to you and also accomplish the goals of the world around him. God, help us to develop those convictions before it's too late. And we just thank you and praise you.